This program is designed to provide general information with regards to the subject matters covered. This information is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, sponsors, or station are engaged in rendering any specific and personal, medical, financial, legal, counseling, professional service, or any advice. You should seek the services of competent professionals before applying or trying any suggested ideas. Woodbury Reports, with your host, Lon Woodbury, talking with leading professionals about how parents and others can help their struggling teens, preteens, and young adults. Now here's your host, Lon Woodbury. Welcome back to the Woodbury Report. I'm Lon Whitberry, located in North Idaho, and here is where we talk to knowledgeable people about all things involved with struggling young people and the programs and people that try to help them. Today, we're going to go with some interesting questions. What are executive functions? What do they mean when the professionals talk about it? And what are the abilities that will uh, determine if a young adult will become independent? And how can you assess the effectiveness of executive functioning? The topic is executive functioning in emerging adults, and the guest is Dr. Parth Gandhi. Well, good morning or good afternoon, Parth. Glad to have you here. Thank you, Lon. It's a privilege to be with you. How's the weather where you are? Oh, just marvelous. Marvelous spring weather. Going to get up about 70 degrees or so, and sounds like uh, about the same down there. One of the yep. things I wanted to mention to those that are listening live is we have on the uh, K4HD.com uh, a chat function. And so if you have a question or make, you want to make a comment of some sort, uh, be sure to use the chat function. and We'll get a little bit of interactivity here. So we're going to talk about executive functioning and especially in emerging adults. So, well, Parth, how did you get interested in, exec in executive functioning in the first place? What was, what's your background? Well, that's great. That's a great question. I, um, you know, my, the history is that I, I studied neuropsychology uh, in graduate school. Um, studied uh, leadership development and organizational development uh, after that and <clears throat> was working in Manhattan um, doing executive leadership development, CEOs and CFOs, and um, had the opportunity to, to come back to Utah and start working uh, in the adolescent and uh, young adult treatment world and uh, kind of formulated a model that translated um, those executive competencies, those skills and abilities that make executives so successful. That's what we were doing there in New York, evaluating executives and helping them by mentoring and, and creating experiences to, uh, to help their growth. And we kind of translated a model that, that really helps uh, adolescents and young adults. Okay. Well, let's uh, define this a little bit for our listeners. Uh, what, just, uh, what do you mean? when you talk about executive functioning, and uh, what are some of the abilities that are involved? Well, that's a good question, too. Uh, you know, executive functions, we're talking about the essential skills and abilities to be successful, and for this specific population of adolescents and young adults, these 
executive functioning skills or things like um, regulating oneself, uh, shifting from one thing to another, um, initiating something, execution meaning finishing something, working memory, communicating their thoughts um, to people around them so people understand them and, and maybe the highest level and what I consider uh, kind of the culmination uh, of these executive skills is accountability or the ability to take ownership. And I think maybe the highest level of that is the, the idea of anticipating needs and exceeding expectations. I think when you've got an, an adolescent or young adult like that, uh, you can you can trust them. You can count on them, and they're, all of the other executive skills are, are functioning. All of them are firing. And so... Um, you, you can kind of trust that they're on the path to becoming a successful adult, but in most cases, okay. It, okay. Oh, oh, I was thinking while you're talking, well, that sounds like in the vernacular, uh, somebody that has their act together. Right. That's exactly right. I think that's a great um, umbrella term. I, you know, we, we, we can easily, um, judge those, you know, these, these kids around us, are they doing well? Are they, functioning well? Are they taking responsibility? Are they communicating well? Um, you know, one way to measure accountability, maybe the easiest way to measure accountability is, um, are they doing what they say they will do? And maybe the easiest way to measure that is, um, are they using a time management system? Are they um, showing up to appointments or getting homework done and turning it in on time? Uh, those are the, some of the simplest ways to, to see if they actually are have you know these executive skills you know one of the things that in my in my reading uh i read a lot on a lot of things on the internet and reading about executive functioning and i keeps coming to various parts of the brain and uh based upon experiences brains get wired and one of the problems that they don't have the right kind of experiences if they aren't required to be responsible or punctual or things like that then that part of the brain is weaker. Could you give us a quick tour, uh, layman's tour of the brain and the parts involved in executive functioning? Well, absolutely. Um, everybody kind of knows what a brain looks like. It's kind of an oblong thing. And in the front, we have these frontal lobes. The frontal lobes are, are maybe what we would call the chief executive or the CEO that kind of controls the rest of the brain. You've got memories and you've got um, motor functioning and sensory functioning throughout the brain, the ability to see but in the front, the frontal lobes uh, is where the executive functions are housed, um, and it, it acts as like a conductor over, over an orchestra. It, there needs to be something that organizes and, and prioritizes and creates planning, and that's what we would call the executive functions. Okay, so it's what you need. That, that needs to be functioning well and uh, uh, be wired properly. Uh, can you ever overwork that brain and uh, burn it out? That's a, a question one of our listeners put in. Huh, interesting question. Um, of course, fatigue is um, you know something that happens to all of us. You know, we we go to sleep every night to recharge the brain. Uh, if we take uh, a long three-hour test, or, or you know, we're tired, our processing and our attention go down, and so these different functions. Um, diminish when when our brain gets fatigued. So of course you you can overwork a brain, but it'll rejuvenate with a good night's sleep. Of course, yeah, that's mm -hmm. the hope. Every night, every night. 
Okay, well, this is important all the way through raising a child, but we're talking about emerging adults. Uh, I think another term for that would be, well, we use young adults. Uh, millennials sort of overlaps that. But why don't you describe what you see as uh, an emerging adult? That seems to be the popular term that the professionals have started to use. You're right. I think, you know, there's actually a society to study uh, emerging adults, which I'm part of, and they define emerging adults like the millennial population, which is those that have come of age, have turned 18 since the year 2000. So they would have been born in 1982 or thereabouts. And, um, you know, for me, I I have a little bit broader uh, definition. My definition is... um, Adolescents that are turning into young adults and young adults that haven't, that are still not meeting their expectations. So my definition in age is probably 13 to 30, those kids that uh, we tend to work with in these treatment programs. Okay, so you include uh, teenagers along with the, uh, the emerging adult. Uh, I do, it sounds like, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt there, but, you know, I think um, in terms of executive functions, uh, we should we as parents should be teaching young children four or five six years old to to how to organize how to put their clothes away and so to the training of executive functioning developmentally should start very early um that progresses and into adolescence there's a point 13 14 15 where we put an egg where we should put an expectation on on adolescents that they're more and more responsible and accountable and um they have, we want them to become mature, independent, functioning adults. And, and I think uh, that's maybe, you know, why there's so much emphasis on this emerging adult population now, because we have these young adults, 18 to 30, that aren't meeting expectations. Or maybe they, they go to college, but they come back, uh, come back home and um, they just aren't functioning well, not meeting expectations. And so there's a great deal of study and hypothesis around uh, why? You know, why is it? And you know, there's a lot of ideas, including you know, cultural differences between now and, say, 30 years ago uh, in terms of expectations and maybe enabling behavior, not allowing kids to fail and, and learn how to fail and pick themselves up, things like that. Okay, so, well, one of the questions, uh, looking at young adults and uh, basically the millennial age, Does their executive functioning seem to be weaker than in past generations? Uh, You mentioned uh, maybe not pushing as much, but uh, they seem to be weaker. Is there a change in the generations? I think so. And I think uh, from the information that I was just talking about, what we're seeing in the research and and even anecdotally, we we seemingly have less expectation for young adults to function independently, to hold jobs, to achieve at a higher level. And, um, you know, again, there's, there's a lot of ideas of why and how that has happened. But certainly one of the things is that as a culture in America, we've become softer, um, more, um, uh, less willing to let these children fail. You know, I think that's one of the big things that, that the literature comes back to. Is parents have to be uh, more strategic about how uh, they set things up for their young children and uh, adolescents in terms of uh, processing information, problem solving, um, taking, taking a failure and learning from it rather than, you know, not trying at all. You know, we have a, a whole generation of kids that are, are getting trophies for everything they do, which 
at some level, I'm a parent, and I, I, I want my child to have that. And at another level, I, I want them, the failure of not achieving first or second place might be a significant thing to talk about in a family. Oh, well, absolutely. So we're talking about the early training that, uh, you know, the, a young adult with poor executive functioning is a result of what's been going on before. And so I have an interesting uh, question uh, from the chat. Can you overtrain and take away childhood, which I guess is a possibility? Uh, and is this why people push at an early age or try, those that do try to push to take on responsibility? I, I guess the question is, can you do it too much of that way or too little? You've been talking about maybe too little when they, the kids mm. are protected from everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and I think this is this is a cultural issue. This is a family-specific issue. Um, you know, uh, growing up in uh, you know, in, in, um, uh, my background is uh, East Indian. I you know, my parents drove drove for results in uh, in a subtle way, not so overt. Um, but I knew what the expe- expectation was, and I you know, I grew up with with friends with that had less expectation, and I see less expectation now. You know, the, the right and wrong of it, I, I certainly wouldn't want to label it that way, but it is a cultural issue and a family issue and a decision that has to be made by, by mom and dad and, and how a child is raised. Raised, And again, I think it, it needs to be more strategic and maybe parents need to be willing to challenge more than they are. Can you overdo the training? Of course. Of course you can. Everything in extremes is probably bad, but... Um, there's likely more room for development in every situation. You know, that there's a book that was popular a couple, three years ago, uh, the, the Tiger Moms, referring to the Tiger Moms, and that sounds like, a, mm-hmm. from our culture, that was extreme of overemphasizing too much of a good thing. Uh, would you agree right. with that? And uh, we would. seem to be moving. Yeah, there's a lot of controversy over it, and a lot of people said this is a, almost abusive to the children, and uh, mm. we tend to go the other direction, but uh, we're getting the same problems, or we're getting a problem, but from a different reason, that the kids aren't challenged, and they don't learn these things that they need. Right. Well, I can say, yeah, I, the tiger mom phenomenon, um, uh, some, of, some of that is taking away a child's ability to learn and grow for themselves, and so I, I think that's part of the takeaway there. Okay, and a, and a child needs to struggle like the example I hear is like a, a moth or a butterfly. Uh, when the butterfly, people have seen the struggling that the, uh, uh, that the future butterfly is getting to get out of it, and they try to help it out, and it just withers and dies because they didn't have to struggle hard. They didn't learn that strength, and I, that's, a, that's an example. The kid has to struggle. They have to have some failures in order to right. learn these things, and we're talking about uh, executive functioning. If they don't learn how to struggle, how to handle disappointment, well, they're not going to have the executive function in work quite as well, right? right. If, if, the, if there's a parent doing it all for them, uh, the tiger mom phenomenon, for example, you know, um, they're not learning what they need to learn. The success, that's, you know, that can be defined in different ways. Success, immediate happiness, long-term happiness, mature, independent adults, uh, you know, especially in our day and age of technology and different things that really take away a lot of skill building, I think we need to be more strategic about how we're doing it. 
Okay, well, we want to get more uh, in detail as we go a little further on about how you go about it. But uh, uh, let's back to your profession uh, because you do uh, assessments of people and work with them. Uh, Could you give us a sort of a layman's explanation of how you assess executive functioning? Absolutely. um, You know, uh, there's no uh, one exact way. And what I mean by that is we use quantitative testing. We use psychological tests to evaluate someone uh, when when we're working through a testing process. But there's a lot of information that comes from a good developmental history. How have they, you know, asking parents, asking teachers, asking therapists, how have they behaved or done in certain specific specific situations. We give rating scales to those people. Um, In the executive world, we use these rating scales called 360s, which evaluates not just just a self-rating, but uh, information from all around, peers and uh, mentors and bosses and even underlings. And I think in the same way, we we try to gather information from all around the client um, to assess how they're doing on executive skills. Executive skills, executive function skills are notoriously difficult to evaluate in, in just one testing setting, setting, in a few hours with one client. But history tells uh, a lot of information, especially when you're looking for patterns um, in behavior and, uh, and, and problems, things that have continually gone wrong for a student. Well, you know... Uh... Uh, could you go through a session or some, for instances, uh, some concrete, you're observing a child, you're doing the testing, and what are some of the things you look at, some of the specific things, like uh, do you give them tests to uh, manipulate things, or uh, are you just, yeah. is it a social history, or is it all of the above? Go, go into a little more detail, <laughs> think of any of a case that you worked on, and what did you do, and what were you thinking? Sure. Okay. You're well, um, yeah, again, uh, you know, I typically see adolescents and young adults in treatment programs or in wilderness programs, and they have what we would term sort of fatal flaws, these things that, uh, that are so poor in their functioning that uh, it has ruled out any strengths, um, anything that they're really good at. And so the testing process, you know, we use different evaluative tools, um, cognitive testing, intellectual testing, how they're doing academically, their attention, their memory. Working memory is one of these executive functioning skills. Working memory specifically is the ability to hold information in your mind and to manipulate that information and then use it. And it's actually a, a skill that can be developed. It can, you see apps that are focused on, um, you know, working memory training, skill development, getting better and better at this. Because when you uh, enlarge that working memory, you have more information at, at, at the ready. So in the testing process, we, you know, it's, we're looking at the social history, the family history, uh, how have they done at school, what kind of challenges do they have with homework, do they not start homework, or they, do they not turn in homework, or do they have a hard time with managing time, um, you know, there, there are a lot of what we call these executive functioning. In our, in our theory, in our process, there's 10 that we sort of label out. They're clearly labeled on our website, but they're what we talked about before, the idea of regulating oneself. And so a lot of that, again, comes from a good developmental history. And then even in the testing session, when I spend four or five or six hours with a client, I'm seeing fatigue. I'm seeing how they um, 
how they challenge themselves, if they give up easily, uh, can they regulate their emotion, are they impulsive, things like that. We're, we're looking for that behavioral information also. Okay, so it's very individualized when you're looking at it. It's... It is, and that's why we do assessment. That's why the testing is so, uh, so essential, because even though you can work at these different skills, um, knowing what your particular strengths and weaknesses are, what has kept you from moving forward, these fatal flaws, knowing that really can help you uh, with specific recommendations on treatment and how, to, how is it going to help um, your, your homework and even you as, uh, you know, in your workplace. Uh, these executive skills are kind of the skills and habits that make us successful. Doesn't matter what your IQ is. If you can't show up, if you can't initiate, if you can't manage your time, you're not going to be deemed successful. Okay, this is something uh, that sounds very much like what we often uh, hear about uh, ADHD, uh, attention deficit disorder with hyperactivity, or ADD. Uh, How does ADHD fit into this, uh, what you're talking about? Uh, Or is that part of the uh, impact on executive functioning is the... uh, symptoms of ADHD? Well, of course, one of the, the main factors in attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or ADHD, or what some people still term ADD, is this idea of working memory deficits, inattention, and not being able to spend, you know, pay attention. Another very important factor is impulsivity. Hyperactivity is kind of the, the manifestation of the inability to, um, to regulate your impulses. And so learning to calm oneself down is a very important executive skill. Um, so ADHD developmentally is, is actually a, um, a very frequent path to having poor executive functioning. If you, if you can't, if you have these inattention problems, if you have problems with impulsivity, that's going to developmentally lead into adolescence, into young adulthood, um, you're going to learn coping strategies or not uh, in a, probably an inappropriate way. You're going to learn to deal with life in an inappropriate way. And so all of, all of the ADHD symptoms do have a huge factor on poor executive functioning skills later in life. Okay, let me approach this uh, from another direction. I've been reading a lot that uh, they've learned that the uh, brain doesn't develop uh, uh, basically by the age of 18, but it goes on on the prefrontal lobe, especially up till 25. I think that's been one of the justifications for not pushing the kids so hard because the thinking is that the brain isn't uh, ready developed for a lot of these things. Um, so uh, is, does adolescence go on to 25 or later, or, or how do you react to that, the, uh, uh, the brain de- in developing some of the interpretations? Well, that's a, I, I think that's an interesting take. Um, I would actually think about it the opposite way, that in the developing brain, learning is the process of, uh, you know, neurologically, it's the process of creating pathways, of, and those pathways are created by experience, by challenging oneself, doing things over and over. Mastery or expertise is created by repetition, by doing things over and over and challenging oneself with harder and harder information or more difficult tasks. And so um, I don't know that I can uh, agree with the idea of waiting or prolonging the development of skills or not challenging oneself 
to um, to the point of failure, t- to be honest. I mean, I, I think we think about physical wor- workouts or uh, intensity workouts that same way. We develop physical strength through these intensity workouts by really challenging oneself. And I think neurologically, you can think about it the same way. Okay, so you take uh, while the brain is still developing, that's the time to do the training, not wait until after it's pretty well formed, which is, I guess, is more or less as at the age of 25. I've uh, got an interesting chat question here. Can multitasking mess up the mind function, especially if you do it a lot? Well, um, some people are really good at multitasking and some aren't. Um, you know, like multiple streams of information or processing. Um, again, this is a specific thing, an individualized thing. Some people are good at it. Some people aren't. And I think that's actually an important thing to learn about yourself because if you're not good at it and you're trying to do it all the time, you're probably going to be miserable at all the things you try. But if you can focus on one task at a time because you know that's that's your process and that's your learning style, that's a much better way to, to, to live life. I think you'll be happier. Is uh, the multitasking, is, isn't that a, a gender thing? Because I read a number of articles that indicates that females tend to be uh, more likely to be able to multitask, whereas males have a tendency to one thing at a time, you know, more of a focus. Is there anything to that? Oh, I think there is. Um, I don't know of the research evidence, but anecdotally, I, I see that as true also. Okay, so it's a... Yeah. Uh, but uh, you're saying if they're good at multitasking, and, and there's a lot of research that indicates that uh, uh, multitasking, sometimes you might be able to do three things at once, but everything is one-third as effective as if you do it uh, uh, one thing at a time. Uh, it, have you read that, or are you familiar with that? I have, you know, and um, I think there's something to that that might speak to um, being very deliberate or being mindful when you do a specific task. and. You might be more effective and efficient at it if you're more deliberate at it, uh, which means that the multitasking kind of goes out the window. It's the idea of maybe reading and uh, biking on a stationary bike at the same time. I don't think you're going to do either very well or very efficiently, but a lot of people do it at the gym. Well, and and what comes to my mind is the old traditional housewife. The housewife has to watch the kids to cook the meals, clean the house, you know, do all kinds of things. But they're sort of rote type of activities and they're not too mm-hmm. cognitively uh, challenging and maybe that's when multitasking is the best is when they aren't too cognitively challenging I think you're exactly right okay well that's an interesting question and uh, that could be worth a uh, uh, worth a whole discussion on itself uh, t- tell us a little bit more about fatal flaws. You used that term and you explained it a little bit a little bit earlier. But uh, what happens? Is it a non-function of the brain? Is it a lack of interest? Is it uh, maybe they never learned how to do things? I've seen some uh, kids that uh, uh, they come to these therapeutic boarding schools and they don't know how to wash dishes or wash their clothes. They don't even know where the stuff is, uh, some, right. some basic things. So... Uh, 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 the fatal flaws. Just talk a little bit more about that. Where does that come from? What are some? I speculate a little bit of what some of the causes might be for these fatal flaws, and, and what would the, you think would be a fatal flaw? Okay. Well, you know, the clinical term that we use, you know, we're, when we're diagnosing somebody is pervasive. That, that might be uh, too big a term, but it's the idea that there is a specific function or skill that is not working, um, and it causes disruption in multiple areas of one's life. Like you can't show um, and, up for an appointment? Like you can't show up for an appointment? Right. Show up on time? Right. Okay, that'll, exactly. that'll mess that'll, everything up. 
Yeah, and that that specific example could be initiation, it could be time management, right? I mean, and when you think about it developmentally, let's say somebody's really anxious to go to an appointment, they'd never show up. Well, what is that really related to? I mean, is that the executive skill of not being able to show up or not plan time, or is it something else developmentally where they're, they're, they're fearful? And again, I think going back to kind of an assessment process to tease that out is really important. But fatal flaws are specifically... Um, uh, the inability to function in a way that is that is so negative that it doesn't matter what your strengths are. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, fantastic at math and you're going to get a hundred percent. If you don't turn in the homework, if you can't, you know, if you can't show up for the test, you're still going to fail the class. Right, and that's a problem. Oftentimes, you see that. It, well, I know it's driven uh, a lot of parents to distraction or tearing their hell out, hair out. I know they did the homework. What do you mean they didn't turn it in? Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of thing, and which is the same as uh, as not doing it. Well, let's focus for the uh, for the rest of the show on on parents. What can parents do for an emerging adult that has this problem, or what they should have they done, or what they can they do for a teenager or even younger? Uh, some practical advice from what you see that needs to be done so these people won't need to uh, come to you for an assessment. Right. Well, let's talk about maybe the younger age and then we'll, we'll move forward. You know, okay. I think early on it's, it's, uh, it's, it's challenging children. You know, there are developmental, appropriate developmental expectations of young children, of adolescents. As, as, as children grow, we should be giving them more and more responsibility. We should teach them to use uh, time management, um, you know, to their advantage. Um, learning to do that, I think, helps them to be effective and efficient. You know, small examples of organization, you know, I, I think when you ask a child, a, a, an eight-year-old, to clean his room, they have no idea what you mean. You know, that's, you're setting an expectation and then expecting them to fall through often without uh, training. So I often, you know, when younger children come to my office, uh, where we're doing the feedback of the parents and that organizational uh, skill is a problem, I'll, I'll talk to them about um, cleaning the room with the child and then taking pictures of what the sock drawer looks like or creating, uh, you know, a board uh, in their room of, of the things um, of what a clean room means. And so making it much more deliberate, uh, setting the expectations so that it's clear, I think will avoid a lot of frustration. Um, and you can add to that. You can add chores. You can add greater and greater expectations or challenges. Um, let me share know, let me, let me, oh. let me share an example of when I remember when I was a kid, about eight, you talked about something about eight or so. I remember my uh, mom asked me to pick up the living room. Okay, I went and picked up the living room, told her I picked it up, and she went around and pointed to everything that hadn't been picked up, and I literally did not see it for some reason. So mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. a, a viewing type of thing or a seeing type of thing or attention uh, that was lacking at it's, the time. You know, and... Well, it is. It's attention, but it's also the kind of the way we learn. Um, each each of us are different kinds of learners, and you have to add that into the equation. Some are auditory learners, and you create a list for those kinds of learners. Some are visual learners, and so you want to set pictures up, or you want to show them. Some are experiential, and they have to they have to see it, um, you know, and do it with you. Um, yeah, that's a great example. Communication, I think. You know, let's say you know. A, 
uh, your child, you know, is on a baseball team and, and he's not getting uh, played, you know, I mean, should you protect your child and, and go have that angry conversation with your coach or should you encourage your child to have that conversation? What will that conversation do for the child? Um, you know, pushing them into uncomfortable situations and helping them process that information. That's a very therapeutic process. They have to get them out of their home. They have to get them out. You have to get them out of their zone of comfort, zone of comfort. Right. You know, and that zone of comfort is, I mean, because they can be comfortable um, with their poor skills. That's just what they know. And I think when you, when you see, something that, that you want to help them develop, I think uh, challenging, challenging them in a very loving, loving way and teaching them how to do it is a, is a, I think that might be the most important thing we do as a parent. You know, I can see uh, an example I thought of uh, working memory, how that fits into it and working memory as well. <laughs> One thing I think is an age thing. I'm a grandparent and I'm finding that uh, I have to write things down because I might not remember it five, five seconds later, <laughs> but uh uh, but I can see in a situation to where some kids, uh, you can say, well, pick up the room, take the trash out, and then you can go play. Well, that's a two-step process. And some maybe pick up the room, so or sort of, but they forget <laughs> the rest of it. So working memory can be, that's how working memory can uh, uh, can make the kids seem obstinate or irresponsible. Right. Yeah, and, they're not and you bring up a, a great point about writing things down. This is not something that just older people with, you know, these alleged memory problems have, because I don't believe you have them. But, you know, I think uh, having a notebook, having a little book that goes around with you, and I'm talking about the teenager. Yeah, well, I hide it well. I practice. (laughs) Well, you probably compensate well. And I want to say that compensations, accommodations, uh, structuring things, these are all very appropriate because some weaknesses can't be overcome. There's lots of CEOs, very, very successful CEOs at the $100 million, $10 billion level that they can't organize themselves. They don't know how to do time management, but they've got secretaries that do a lot for them. And that's a really important concept to learn that it's okay to use these accommodations. You know, using a a Google Calendar connected to your iPhone, sending you text alerts, reminders. This is how I live my life. This is how successful people live their life. They've got a process and something that really works for them. And I want to say also that um, those, you know, that have ADHD, that, that suffer, you know, with time management problems, they often feel that using a time management system feels very foreign. Uh, it's, it's almost like we're patronizing them. That's the feeling that I get from clients that I work with. Uh, you know, I think that the missing component for them is, is experience and understanding that this is what successful people do. They use systems and they use accommodations because there's no one that's good at, let's say, you know, our, our model is 10 working competencies, these skills, these executive functioning skills. None, nobody is, is, has all of the strengths. Nobody. You know, we all have strengths and weaknesses. And so knowing where you are on that spectrum, and if you have fatal flaws, I want to speak to maybe one more thing. I'm sorry, I'm going, kind of going on Go here. But fatal flaws, so we call in, in this uh, uh, skill-building model, we call these things strengths, weaknesses, and fatal flaws. And, of course, we measure them and we use assessments to figure that out. So the first thing that we work on are fatal flaws. And then we work on strengths. 
And our weakness is we kind of, because all of the competencies are so connected together, um, you know, they overlap with one another. When we're working on strength, we're working on weaknesses also. But if there's a fatal flaw that stands in the way of me being successful in every other way, that's what has to be focused on first. We have to get over that hump. Okay. I had, a, I had an example when, as you were talking about, uh, uh, might be an example of this, an absent-minded, the image of the absent-minded professor. They're brilliant in their mm-hmm. work. They remember everything about it, but they can hardly find their way to the bathroom. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and okay. That's, that's pretty severe. <laughs> that's pretty severe, and, and it's a fatal flaw, but they're successful in the work. They found a place to where they uh, can, where it doesn't make so much difference. Right? right. Right, exactly. Okay. okay. And, you know, I mean, they, they, they know what they're good at, and they focus on what they're good at. Okay. Now, we were, we're getting a little bit astray. We're talking about the young kids, uh, you know, the preteen, uh, early teens. Let's move into teenagers. What, what would you tell parents to try to do with teenagers? Uh, yep, yeah, uh, developmentally. Um, we expect these skills of planning and problem-solving to continue to develop. By high school, we, we want uh, teens to be functioning fairly independently, to be gathering their homework and organizing it in fil- folders and bringing it home um, and, you know, setting time out, planning that time so they can they can do their work and then they can go out and have some fun with their friends. Their and weekends they can take aren't on, taken off. And they, can, and they can take on significant responsibilities too. Right, exactly, which is, you know, another, I think another part of what's going on with this generation of these millennials. But, but yeah, so I mean, there's a, there's a direct translation from childhood to adolescence and, and developing these skills and creating a greater expectation. And again, as parents, you know, um, sitting down, if, if, if someone doesn't have those skills, if a team doesn't have those skills, it's, it's working with them diligently, showing them how to do it, talking through. And, you know, by the time uh, teens happen, you know, they often resent their parents for telling them what to do. And a lot of training uh, has to happen uh, by mentors, by peers, by teachers, by tutors that happen outside of the home. There's, there's a certain point, I think, where parents become less effective because kids just don't listen to them very well. And I think that happens in the best of homes. Um, and having peers uh, that are mentors is probably the most effective way to teach them those skills. Put them in, in places where there are other successful teams, where you want them to emulate successful team and one way they're sort of uh, emotionally they're ready to uh, try their wings and uh, move out on their own and our society doesn't really allow that but I'm thinking of a story I think it was John Paul Jones a famous naval uh, 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 naval officer in, uh, in the United States back in the War of 1812 I think it was he had his first command of a sailing ship in at uh, age of 13 and I can't mm-hmm. imagine any 13 year old I've met that could take on that kind of responsibility well, or any adult that would allow that. And that or any adult that would allow that. But, but it was very common a couple centuries ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yeah. and Well, it was, it was very common uh, for 17- and 18-year-olds to be fighting our wars for us 50 years ago. You know, I think yeah. there's a real difference in, in our expectation and our protection of our children that, that might be really harming them. Yeah, well, it's, it's mixed messages. You, you can't drink until you're 18, but you... Uh, are 21 in some cases, but you can serve in the military and get shot at. Right. Exactly. And, uh, exactly. and I think, yeah, and we're a little confused I think that's, in you know, society. 
it's a challenge that I think about for my own children. I mean, am I holding them back? Um, am I not trusting them with responsibility? Because I think it, there are often times where I think I'm being a hovering parent right now, and I need to let my child experience and take risks and, um, you know, be out there. And, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I was, oh, during the summer months, I was out to all, you know, all hours, probably 8, 9, 10 o'clock, well past dark, my parents didn't quite know where I was, you know, but we lived in the safe neighborhood and it was a different time, you know, but now, um, uh, you know, I wouldn't let, there's no way I would let my children do that. And uh, no, that's, you know, a, whole, that's, that's a, a small example. Yeah. That, yeah. And that's a, it's a whole different discussion there too, uh, of the expectations mm-hmm. and what we do and overly protective children and things like that. Uh, yeah, we've got a comment here. Times have changed and that's very, very true. We've got to keep that in mind. Right. Okay. That's, so that's anything true. more on, on teenagers? What do you advise uh, parents to do on teenagers to help teenagers well, have proper executive functioning? Um, you know, I think encouraging time management. I think, you know, time management is the first thing that we teach in our executive functioning skill development program because it, it has so many implications uh, for these executive functions. It incorporates planning, problem solving, prioritizing tasks, and shifting. You know, oftentimes uh, you, you've got a day full of tasks, but something comes up and you've got to shift things around. And so learning how to manage your uh, uh, your time and what you're doing with your time and putting real experiences, you know, t- experiences into real time, you know, from five to seven, I'm going to be working on homework and then seven to eight, I'm practicing piano. And, you know, you, I think understanding time and um, its limits is, a, is, a, is a, maybe the first goal uh, for us in our training program. From there, uh, regulating oneself. Um, many people, not just adolescents or young adults, are, are very impulsive in the way they respond. Um, and learning to take breath or not respond right away is, I think, a very important skill. You can step back. You can think about things and then come back to the situation and respond. And that's, that mindful approach to life, I think, is a, is, is a huge deal. And we get more and more into that with things like Breathing exercises or yoga or learning how to center oneself and not be so responsive, impulsively responsive to the world around us. I think that's a huge skill. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's move on to the emerging adults or the millennials or young adults or whatever term you want to use. Let's talk about them because I think the expectations, all in my, when I was growing up, now I'm a grandparent, so this is a generation or two ago, when I was growing up, uh graduate from high school, and uh, the girls generally, uh, the guys got jobs, were ready to, preparing to support a family. The girls were ready to take on and have a family, and uh, that was sort of the expectation at the time, and then uh, we got away from that in the 60s. But uh, uh, so we've changed in the emerging adults, and uh, uh, so speculate a little bit about what can you do considering the times have really changed in the last generation or two. No. That's great. Um, you know, I think, uh, especially for the millennials, those that are uh, having difficulty, even um, a lot want to take more responsibility, you know, and so um, difficulty finding jobs, maybe the expectations are, are a little bit too high uh, for for pay and for college and all the experiences that they should be having. And so I think there's, there's a conversation, a dialogue there about um, – 
you know, what is the path? What is the experiential path? We called it the, the leadership pipeline in the executive world. What, what, do, what do you mean one, by experiential? What do you mean by exper- experiential path? Well, I think to, to, you know, I think defining where you want to be in 10 years or 20 years, family and a successful job, and those are all very specific definitions based on who you are and what you want, your culture. And I think creating... You know, okay, well, I'm going to need four years of college education. I'm, you know, I need, need my master's degree. And during that process, you know, but even preparing to get my master's, having certain kinds of experiences, maybe working in, in, a, in a, an attorney's office rather than flipping burgers, being very deliberate about your process, strategic about creating what you want, I think is very important. And too many, I see too many, at these young adults, at even at the college level, um, you know, not spending their time uh, wisely. And I think everything they do uh, leads to the next step, you know, and uh, it's a developmental p- pipeline. If you want to get to a certain path, and that's what we did, you know, in New York with these executives, you know, part of what we were doing is the succession planning. If we wanted to build the CFO of a $100 million company over a five to 10 year process, and we were starting with, you know, a director level person that was 30, 35 years old, we knew there were certain experiences that they had to have, maybe international experiences, but whatever that is. And I think there's a way to think about that and have a dialogue with your children, with your young adult children about what is it that you really want? And let's, let's figure out a path to get there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's part of it. You mentioned, uh, and uh, it sounds like you have a treatment program for kids that, uh, young people that have this. You mentioned using mindfulness, uh, which has become very popular uh, lately, uh, yoga, and some other things. So talk a little bit about, actually, once you've done the assessment and you've got to handle the fatal flaws, strengths, and weaknesses, and all that, mm-hmm. uh, what do you have them do? And what's the purpose? That's great. Thing? Um, on um, going back and forth from taking their experiences and um, trying different things in the real world and coming back to a therapeutic process or a safe place where they can kind of um, analyze what they did, what they did wrong, how they can improve it. And so there's okay. there's a feedback system and giving them information. And so Okay, you, you, you mentioned know, doing, doing different things. That's sort of vague. What specific things might you have them do? Think okay. of an example well, of, the, of, someone, of a client. Sure. Yeah. So, so in the real, you know, I think several times I've talked about time management, um, having conversations uh, with their boss or with their peers, communicating what they really feel or think about certain things. Because I think uh, communication manages expectations. And when you're managing an expectation with other people um, and changing that expectation, uh, you know, you're avoiding the idea of failure. We have to, we haven't talked yet about, I think, the idea of impression management. Well, is that is that a skill that's really important? And it probably is to be professionally successful, to manage your identity okay, and who you uh, are uh, with impre- other people. Impre- uh, impression management. What do you mean, like that? Uh, how you present yourself, or how you? Uh, yeah, I think in uh, every way, how you physically present. Yeah, I'm sorry to talk over you. Uh, how you physically um, convey yourself to other people, how you dress, how you convey information, if you're argumentative, if you're kind, 
um, you know, all of that has to do with the idea of impression management. And I think that's a very important skill or competency that, that we have to impress on young adults that haven't had a lot of experience working in a professional environment or even with their professors. How do you go about trying to share information and get to a specific goal? How do you have that strategic conversation? And again, there's a, there's a lot of mentoring there. So you asked me how we do it. It's a lot of feedback. It's a lot of mentoring because it's really we really believe that they have to do the work. They have to be out there experiencing challenges, making failures, and bringing that information back so they can self-correct. Okay, we have uh, just three minutes, so why don't you talk about how people can get a hold of you, what you can do for them, and, and talk about your practice. So I guess you could call this a commercial break time. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> and, I, you know, I first want to uh, say thank you for having me on your call on this. On well, this you're more call. than welcome. This has been interesting. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, Park County again, and um, I'm a neuropsychologist and based in Salt Lake City, but I often travel uh, to do testing. And most, of, probably 90% of the work that I do is based on testing and assessment. Um, I often go to wilderness or residential treatment programs. Um, a lot of that, uh, you know, is, is nationwide, and I've traveled internationally for that, which is great, and I love doing that. Um, our website is www.neurodevelop.com, N-E-U-R-O, develop.com. Office is 801-649-5300. And, uh, you know, on, on our website, uh, there's ways to just ask questions, and we're happy to help in any way we can, even if we're not hired to do an assessment or, or this executive functioning program that we do here, just uh, for community people on a, kind of an outpatient basis. That's in Salt Lake City, primarily. It is. It's, it's based yeah. in Salt Lake City, yep. Mm-hmm. And so you, you work, uh, work on that on an outpatient basis. The rest of it does probably sound like you're in a specific program, therapeutic boarding school, women's therapy, or something like that, and you're working with them in the program to help provide that kind of supplement to whatever therapeutic program they're involved in. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm I'm uh, licensed in several states and have opportunities to you know to travel to treatment programs and in other states also. And uh, in fact, I was in Idaho just a little while ago. I stopped by your office and said hi. But uh, yeah, we uh, uh, we certainly travel to programs and not just programs, but often uh, referral sources such as educational consultants will invite us uh, invite me to come to their office and do testing with a client. And so it's it's been a great opportunity over the last ten years. I've seen well over a thousand kids in treatment programs and uh, I'm really grateful for that experience. Okay, and we've run out of time. Uh, thank you very much, Parth. We've been talking to Dr. Parth Gandhi and building executive function, functioning in emerging adults is the topic. And uh, this is Lon Woodbury with uh, the Woodbury Report. And uh, come back next week, Tuesday at noon Pacific time when the topic will be Healing Through Natural Highs by Sam Dolan. <laughs> 